Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. It should go without saying. I am your host as always, Andrew Lewis, and we're going back to where it all started on this podcast over 50 episodes ago. We don't get to talk cricket very often, but tomorrow uh, is the official start of summer. We've had a whole international cricket tournament in Australia, but it doesn't start until the first test summer, and it starts tomorrow in Perth this time. We haven't had a test in a few years. We've got Australia, the West Indies, but we've got a few other things on the cricket agenda to talk about. Joining me, as always, when we talk that little 156-gram red or white ball is Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm very well, thanks, Punner, and yourself? I am well, I'm well. Things starting to dry out. Hopefully, um, players have been able to report to grounds uh, over the last couple of weekends and, and are getting some play in. Um, no such problems with the weather in Perth, but we'll get to the impending test series. We're recording this on Tuesday night. It starts Wednesday. Just in t- and, and, and wonderful uh, consideration shown by the organisers of the FIFA World Cup. They've ended the early games, the 9 p.m. game uh, into the eastern sub in the eastern states, just 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 for the just in time for the late cricket. Um, you've got the match in Perth and then a day-night match in Adelaide for this first Test series. So, um, just as just as you thought, you weren't going to be staying up late to watch sport. In comes the cricket, then into FIFA World Cup. But we will talk about that later. I did mention briefly we had just had an international cricket tournament in Australia. The T Twenty World Cup has been run and won in Australia for the first time. Just like the first time we had the 50-over World Cup, it was England and Pakistan in the final. Um, England this time prevailing uh, pretty comfortably in the end of the final. Um, what were your uh, overall thoughts of the tournament? Um, look, Punter, it was a. I, I, I guess I was tournament overall um, than the previous one, and I don't know if that was because they happened so. Um, so soon, so back to back. I don't know whether I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat. I was thinking about whether to bring this up as, as um, the incumbent cricket expert on it should go without saying. But um, you know, I, I, I certainly have some sympathy with um, Glenn Maxwell and 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 some of the cricketers that appear to be cricketed out at times. Um, there, there's there's a lot of cricket on the calendar at the moment, and I, I personally found it difficult to completely buy into this tournament, despite the fact that it was happening in my home country. The the rare moments where I sort of grabbed at hook, line and sinker were the moments where um, you couldn't really miss India versus Pakistan quite early on in the tournament at the MCG, absolutely packed house um, and an incredible vibe. And I feel like the vibe was in and out a bit. Now we can talk about the wisdom of, of, um, of, of playing cricket so early and, um, in the calendar year, I suppose, um, and and in one of the sort of wettest beginnings to summers and um, wettest uh, springs uh, that we've just about ever ever had. Um, but yeah, so so I'd, I'm not sure I ever felt the momentum of the tournament. There were there were some extraordinary games um, and some some great moments, um, and I really I, I went along as something of a spur of the moment. 
Um, and I did really enjoy that. That was another game where there was uh, an excellent vibe. But if we're talking about the way a, a tournament can build, um, I was somewhat disappointed. Um, and I felt that Australia's performance was was certainly um, quite, you know, very vanilla. And, and that very early on in the tournament, I remember Aaron Finch saying prior to the tournament even kicking off, and their schedule had been ridiculous, a trip over to India that um, just seemed silly. Um, but, but, you know, in a couple of the warm-up games, once they made their way back, he said, we're very tired. And I was like, geez, even if that's what you're thinking, Finchie, is that what we need to be saying? And we look like a tired cricket side. What, what was your take, Punner? Well, I think, I think we're sort of... I, I, the pervading theme for me is, um, you know... There's just so many games in Melbourne that were ruined by, as you said, one of the, the wettest Octobers any of us can remember. Um, fortunately, the rain held off for that India-Pakistan spectacle and, you know, it's probably one of the, hopefully one of the really good things that's going to come out of this tournament is the opportunity uh, for an India-Pakistan game to be played um, in Australia in front of a big crowd. Um, I would think Australian cricket administrators um, would be thinking about the opportunities for that. And personally, I would hope that even in a truncated form, I would hope that it might it might open up an opportunity for a, for a, for a three-cornered competition, um, which, you know, has had a great tradition and great success over you know, 45 years um, in mm. Australia. Um, I think Australia, India, Pakistan in that tri-series only happened once. Um, but other than that, you know, I mean, and we were sort of, yes, you know, Australia were, you know, putting a really poor performance and a tired performance um, off the bat in that first game um, against New Zealand. Um and then we're sort of in the lap of the gods. Didn't do a lot wrong after that, um, but was sort of robbed of the opportunity to have it decided on the field um, by the Australia-England game, which is, I think, if you looked at the schedule, um, was always was, was was shaping up as the big game of the tournament. And um, you know, I think through the two World Cups, the two 50-over World Cups and this, and this one, there had not been up until this stage, an Australia-England game at the MCG. So, um, I, mean, I might be wrong, I don't remember an Australia-England game in the 2015 World Cup. I think they might have been different groups. But um, we were sort of robbed of that opportunity where Australia could have finished in the semi-finals by beating England. Um, once that no result happened, um, it was always going to be very... Difficult to overcome that, and 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 then England beat New Zealand, which sort of pretty much made it impossible. Yeah, and we did we did have our destiny in our own hands, sort of coming into those final group games with our, um, you know, with with the kind of capacity to uh, knock over a couple of you know relative minnows. I mean, I think that term is certainly. Um, in inverted commas these days because, you know, a, a lot of the minnows found a way to knock off one of the cricket giants throughout the tournament, which was sort of another thing that was, you know, quite captivating, I suppose. Um, but 
I, I just feel the Aussies, I wouldn't use the, the adjective of robbed um, when it comes to them and the, and the wet weather. Um, I really got going and, and, and they never look like a cricket side with the brilliance to, um, to sort of take matters into their own hands. Uh, my, my personal, whatever, whatever suddenly went in the UAE um, it, it was one out of the box. This tournament for me sort of showed um, Australia's true colours and um, all the innovation that we've seen from some of the other teams around the world um, and, and Australia's sort of uh, kind of demented attitude around playing the three test quicks in the T20 side um, rather than specialist bowlers and, and spinners, which were um, in the tournament. Um, yeah, yeah. I just don't know whether we've got the innovation yet to be a really, really good T20 side, um, unless uh, you know our, our what has been a really formidable opening partnership succeeds. Um, and at, at this world, but Cup, surely blunted. Surely, the big bash gives this is this is a this is a failure of the failure of selection and a failure of not those on necessarily on the pitch, but of those who are deciding who's on the pitch. Because um, I, I can't imagine that Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark have played a lot of Big Bash. So, no, but there are a lot of Australian fast bowlers over the last few years who have played a ton of Big Bash, and yet they're not getting a look in. So, yeah, I, I've... I've long thought that, in particular, the Test teams and the T20 teams should be sort of kept away from each other. Um, and that tends to happen sometimes in scheduling when a Test match ends in one area of the world and there's a T20 match two days later on the other side of the world. But Australia have this habit of coming to these tournaments and sort of going chalk um, with selection and not getting one out of the box. Um, and you know, I think I think that's not necessarily true with who they've picked as a spinner. They clearly have a, a number one and number two short form spinner, spinner tandem in Zampa and um, Ashton Agar. Um, but certainly the fast bowling was an issue and there wasn't a lot of innovation in that or an idea that Maybe it just wasn't a good idea to be playing you know, those three quicks or, or two of the three and no others um, in this side. And, and, you know, it sort of bears that out when you you can see, you know, pretty much the biggest total of the tournament, you know, right out of the gate. You know, those three pace bowlers are absolute class, but they're not, they don't really buy T20 cricket stuff. Mm. They've all back of a length, and Hazelwood's been, you know, through that last World Cup and yeah. and, an, and an IPL. But you know, for me, the player of the tournament was um, Sam Curran, and he was so brilliant in the final. But the way he mixes up his his um, on speed and off speed deliveries, and and that whole spectrum of of um, deliveries that he bowls, that was how to that that seemed to be the way in and. and Pakistan fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, and um, such a terrific cricketer. Um, and Australia didn't really have that 
you know, our, our so, cleverest so, bowlers as far as pace is concerned are Agar and Zamp. There's a huge argument to be had that they both needed to play in every game. I mean, the, to use the American baseball parlance, I'm, and, I, and I, I'm going to talk about defence here, as in bowl, when you're bowling, when you're fielding, it's an interesting juxtaposition. And I might, you know, there might be people here who think I'm talking about ancient history. But the success of the Australian one-day team in the 80s as the, year went, as the years went on and they became this formidable one-day side was built around innovation with ball. Um, guys like Steve Waugh and Simon O'Donnell and Craig McDermott doing new and interesting things, different, you know. you having a specialist one-day spinner, which was, uh, I think, a new thing and sort of Peter Taylor made a bit of a career out of it. Um their ability to save runs with their fielding and how the work in in that area was done between games rather than necessarily was just like, oh, he's got to feel well today. Um, but it seems we've gone away from that. You know, I just don't think there's, I don't, I don't think there's, there was just, there was just very little innovation anywhere. But, you know, I think back in the 80s, the Australian one day team with the bat wasn't, necessarily more or less innovative than anyone else um except the occasional oh we're none for we're none for 40 after eight overs and then we lose jeff marsh let's send craig mcdermott at number three and see what happens Mm. um but they were grant you know they were groundbreaking with how they bowled and who they bowled at certain times and how they fielded and this is, yeah, you know, I think I think you've probably got it right that there was a there was there was a lightning in a bottle aspect to the T20 last year in the UAE. It's great that we won, but no one was expecting it going into the tournament, and a number of key players sort of just got hot. And I think they were players that no one was expecting. I think we would have thought, you know, Glenn Maxwell, you know, if he could get hot with his um, record on the subcontinent and in those conditions, then that would be, that was to be expected. But it was. Ended up being Stoinis and Marsh, um, and, and Hayde, yeah. with the ball, but 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 not not necessarily being used in a different way to how you would think. If you're going to use Josh Hazelwood in a T20 match, you would think you have to use him the way he was used. He just executed. So, um, yeah, it, it is interesting because because we remain a very very good fifty oversight, um, hmm. and our, our for for. for what? For what it's worth at yeah. this stage, you know, our capacity which is up in that day. game. Yeah, yeah. Our, to uh, you know, uh, I, it's interesting. Uh, the twenty-over game are, are just absolutely nothing like each other, um, and yet we'll have a lot of the same blokes stepping out to play both. Um, hmm. the, the probably, but arguably, the most interesting thing um, that uh, I, I've seen since the tournament ended. Is is Travis Head back at the top of the order in the pajamas, uh, looking every bit like he might be a, a very very good T Twenty player, um, and it would have been handy to get away to some decent starts in this tournament. And for all the love that um, the Australian cricket setup has for Aaron Finch, um, we've been having the same argument about. It. it feels like perhaps we've carried him for. Yeah, I mean tonight he's playing for Geelong. So you can go from chocolates to board lollies pretty quickly. Mm. Um, 
The other thing I think the Australians have to look at, this has been an issue, I think, for quite some time. You could probably give them a pass because of the 12-month turnaround between the two tournaments. But how we deal with, how we how we build to a tournament um, and, you know, the sort of the cricket version of the premiership clock. Um, when do you get guys in? When do you blood them? When do you persist with them? You know, how you introduce players to the team, how you, you get closer to the side you think you want to be playing in a major tournament leading up to the tournament. And, and yeah, I think, I think, I think Australia have struggled that where it's just like, well, this is just another T20 game in a, in a international summer. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of players who need to rest. So we're not going to pick this guy and that guy and this guy. And someone will come up and they'll play one or two T20s and that'll be their experience with the Australian team, but not, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be a plan to, okay, well, this guy showed a bit, go away, come back, or, or well, we'll take you to the next T20, so we, could, we don't want you to, to just begin for one series or something like that. So I think that's something that Australians have to work on. Uh, spot on. Um, I guess the other good news story is the Netherlands finishing fourth in their group, so they've qualified for the next one. Um, yeah. But the West Indies finished just about last in the entire tournament. Um, they finished bottom of their pre-group stage group. So um, I think the UAE in their group had a worse net run rate. But yeah, it's not great if the West Indies can't get out of a group with Ireland, Scotland, and Zimbabwe. Um, no, and the Netherlands, of course, you know, uh, were responsible for yet another tournament choke. There's no real other way to look at it from South Africa, who. A lot of a lot of people had coming in as as a bit of a dark horse, which surprised me because, you know, I sort of have, have witnessed South African cricket sort of languishing in the doldrums a little bit, but they've found some some really good talent there apparently and some elite fast bowling. Um, there's a bit of chatter around that both the teams we've just referenced, South Africa and West Indies, who are making their way out for the Australian summer. Um, will both be more challenging than they may have appeared on paper as test nations, you know, in the last sort of 24 to 48 months. Uh, sorry, I should say 12 to 24 months. Um, you know, both, you know, in the Windies for a long, long time, uh, but both sides have been sort of languishing a little bit. Um, but uh, both teams appear to have found a little bit of a pace battery, which um, which hopefully will, will um, put some interest in the summer um, and not make them sort of, walk over series as we, you know, line up the next one against India, which um, in a in a calendar that's uh, bursting with cricket, you, you kind of, you have to be a little bit choosy at times. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where the interest is coming from in terms of the international summer. It's already been mentioned um, around the traps that this is the quietest build-up to a first test of the summer I think anyone can remember. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> Um, the, the the story since Australia were eliminated from the T20 World Cup have mainly been off-field. Um, there's been a whole furore about uh, Justin Langer and that seems to be bubbling away. And Justin doesn't seem to have a problem with um, finding a microphone when he wants to uh, get his uh, story across, and that's fine. Um, but the other one has been this, uh, and this is not just uh, limited to cricket, but this ongoing bubbling story about uh, sponsorship and particularly 
certain companies who might be uh, whose core business might be contrary to someone's personal beliefs. Um, this story's come out uh, with uh, Pat Cummins, who's now the one-day captain as well as the test captain, um, expressing some concerns about the fact that the Australians were, until very recently, sponsored by Alinta Energy. Um, you tweeted, you uh, retweeted something this week, uh, which was a which was a, a quote from Gideon Hayes' latest piece, um, which suggested that uh, it had been blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, I just think um, this is this is an interesting one. I I, I I I probably come from it from a different point of view, but um, I guess first and foremost, you probably think that Cummins is well within his rights to um, express his opinion if he's asked a question at a press conference or something like that. I just think the world is changing. It's it's sort of a fascinating time in my current work, you know, as an as an actor's agent. Um, I'm asked questions by young actors all the time around whether they should be aligning themselves with particular production companies and uh, particular show choices that come to Australia, and you know where there are similar there's similar um, you know particular show choices and cultural appropriation and and all these different things that kind of you know, um, a front page news in the theatre world, I suppose you'd say. Um, and it's it's kind of fascinating. Uh, it's a fascinating sort of period of change where, um, you know, it, within sporting environments, within the acting community, all over the place, people have gone from sort of, um, uh, you know, towing the company line. Um, if you're, if you're, if your cricket team is sponsored by this company, then, you know, our personal thoughts don't really matter because they're contributing a bunch of money to um, make sure that we can, you know, keep playing sport, um, you know, versus that kind of free-thinking um, individual brand um, type of, um, uh, I guess, um, generation that Pat Cummins belongs to. Um, I think the, the thing that Gideon Haig is sort of highlighting here with regard to this specific um, moment in time is that you know Cummins largely was expressing these thoughts privately it was meant to hit the fan and I think that Cummins is also aligned with some um, you know climate change charities and things like this but this is not him sitting on a soapbox and um, you know publicly berating any of the companies that Cricket Australia is aligned with it's just um, you know, that he'd made the decision to remove himself from their advertising campaigns. And um, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating era because a lot of people aren't ready for it, uh, aren't ready for people like Cummins to speak his mind or have different thoughts from, from the organisation that he... Um, but I feel like the world is changing and we, we may need to play catch-up. Look, I think, I think your point about a lot of people not being ready for it is prescient. Um, first of all, Let's get this out of the way. Um, as far as this being entered into the culture wars, there's a lot of um, ungenuine actors um, around this um, who want to use this example and the example surrounding the Australian netball team um, as an opportunity to whack people they don't like um, for views that those people that they don't like possess that they don't like. Um, that's um, 
I think that needs to be said. And it's almost entirely unhelpful, the commentary that comes from that, that corner of the, of the ring. Um, but there is one absolute truth that sporting organisations are going to have to work through and it's, a, and it's not going to be easy, um, and there's going to be plenty of um, flare-ups and all that sort of thing. Um, but in the final analysis, sponsorship is a fee-for-service. And, you know, an energy company sponsors a sporting team. They are paying for that logo to be on that jumper, and they are not paying for their black brand. Um, to be damaged by someone who is wearing that, that 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 shirt or that jumper, and this comes down to where we are at the moment, which is a whole lot of rubbish going on about free speech. Um, where I don't think there's a lot of appreciation for the fact that freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence of speech. Um, if Alinta Energy aren't happy or don't think that the contract is being fulfilled, um, they're going to they're going to seek an opportunity to take their to, you know to take their business elsewhere. And for someone like Pat Cummins, that's probably not a first world problem, as in a first rate problem. Sorry, um, he is well compensated. Um, it might mean something for people down the line, um, but you know. Pat Cummins is free to express his opinion, and I think it's I think it's a point worth making that these opinions are expressed privately. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out that you know he, he didn't seek to um, to amplify or, or uh, promote these ideas necessarily. Obviously, as in terms of his disagreement with Linter Energy, aside from um, you know his involvement with the climate change char- charity, um, I'm sure if I asked the PR person at Linter Energy um, about their relationship with climate change, I get a pretty fulsome response about how Linter Energy is helping, and you can take that with a grain of salt or however you want to take it, but they are an energy company. Um, he chose not to be in the advertising, and I think if Linter Energy is thinking we're going to be the name, name sponsor of the Australian cricket team, I think they think that part of that, part of that deal is that the Australian cricket captain um, is available for advertising. So this is this is the very uh, troubled road, I guess, with a whole lot of potential roadblocks and things that can be tripped on, up on that the sport in general is going to have to work through. When because you know it's not it's not going to, and you just mentioned it in your line of your line of work. It's not just energy companies who are going to encounter these problems, although the two high-profile cases in Australian sport have been related to energy companies and or mining companies. Um, um, yeah. It's very so difficult it, to... Uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. Definitely. It's very difficult to align yourself completely uh, or, or to be any kind of company and, and you know, have a, have a completely clean rap sheet, um, you know, and... and you know, famous sponsors of the cricket team <laughs> include, um, you know, Carlton United Breweries. You know, there's been all sorts of eras um, um, that that perhaps we wouldn't be proud of, um, you know, or, or that don't necessarily align with elite sport. 
Um, I, I do think we'll probably or potentially may look back on this era as yet another one of those. Um, but, I, but yeah, I, I do feel like the Australian cricket team um, may be able to achieve a, um, of a similar financial sort of contribution from another company. Um, I think there'll be plenty of companies that would be keen to align with the Australian cricket team. Um, so, you know, um, I mean, that, that remains to be seen, I suppose, but um, I know it's a slightly different. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's all fair comment. Um, but um, it'll be very, very interesting to see what the next issue is and how different organizations deal with it. Um I think your point is also well taken that there's that there, there are you know, no organization is perfect because it's um it's a collection of people and people aren't perfect. So um you know I think trying to trying to find the sort of perfect company um rather than the, the best company um or business to sponsor a sporting team is never it's never easy, but um it's almost impossible. That's certainly the advice I'm giving to my young actors, you know, that, that if you're going to be picky and choosy, then make sure you're choosing ones that you actually, ha- you know, it, it's so hard to have any idea about uh, or, or a really deep and, and good understanding of what each of those theatre companies, <laughs> what their histories are when it comes to all of these massive issues. Um you know, so you, you might need to pick a different career if you're going to be that choosy. And it's it's just everything's more nuanced than it appears to be once it finds its way into this, do you even call it, tornado. Yeah, well, once you get into that area, and that's when the nuance goes out the window and whatever the opposite of nuance is takes over. Mm. And, you know, it's hard to it's hard to... It's hard to condense the ten-page explanation to two hundred and eighty characters, um, but yeah, it, it it will be. As I said, it'll be very interesting to see where it goes. Um, we have we it hasn't happened with the biggest sporting organisation we have in Australia, which is the AFL, um, but at some stage it will, um, either with the club or the or, or the league as overall. Um, we've sort of tipped. I mean, we've sort of dipped our toe in a little bit of commentary with, like, AFL's relationship with gambling, but and and the clubs, but um, and crypto. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just that's a different kettle of fish. I mean, that's just someone can you know legitimately explain it to me so I can understand what the thing that thing is. Um. <laughs> The best of my understanding at the moment is it's 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 a it's an equation. It's an algorithm. It's like I feel like just writing a piece of paper and going one plus four equals five. I'll have fifty thousand dollars. Thanks. Um, I'll send you an invoice. You can give me some real money. Anyway, um, the West Indies are here. They're in Perth. Um, they're not the Wacker, but they are in Perth, a city which is was a long time ago a very happy hunting ground for them. They were the last team um, to, to lose in Perth, I think, other than the teams that played there for the first time after the West Indies had finally lost there. Um, 
they won there in seventy five six when they played it the first time. That was that was Roy Frederick's famous hundred where he just hit them everywhere. Eighty four, eighty five, they bowled Australia out for seventy. I think in the like the first day of the first Test match of the summer. Um, Viv Richards almost kill, almost decapitating Tim May with a straight drive in eighty eight and eighty nine. The absolute debacle that was the ninety two ninety three pitch. Yeah. Um, and even a rather decidedly average West Indies team from ninety six ninety seven still managed to. Um, Still managed to beat the Australians, which is if you want, if you want to watch something funny, um, just enter Greg Blewett West Indies Perth um, into YouTube, <laughs> and uh, the ball that Ambrose bowls to um, to Blewett that hits a crack and rolls <laughs> down the pitch and clean bowls Glenn, Glenn, uh, Greg Blewett. Um, but then also, but then it, then then the narrative changed and there was. Um, McGrath's hat trick in 2000, and um, I the West Indies won a Test match in Australia since 1997. I'm not sure they had they they don't play a lot of Test cricket. Um, let's not beat around the bush. They've played five Test matches this year, all in the West Indies. They played two against the Bangladesh. They won that series, but they also beat England in a three match series, um, where they bowled very well. But they haven't played a Test match outside of the West Indies since this time last year and have traditionally, uh, for a long time, not travelled well. Um, a lot of the commentary seems to be talking them up, as in, um, is this is this just trying to keep people, anyone interested who might be interested? Um, or or could we see something that uh, from the West Indies that might surprise, considering we don't know an awful lot of the names? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was about to ask you who's playing because a bit of press around uh, Chanderpaul's boy. And, yep. um, you know, so that's that's nice. Um, there's been a, a bit of a bit of talk about the pace battery, but I can't rattle off too many names for you. And um, it, it uh, yeah, I mean, you, you just laid it out there. Are, are they trying to pique our interest in the test summer or is there a genuine challenge? Um, I'm hoping it's the latter, but I'm I I fear it may be the former. Um, I'm about as rusted on a Test cricket fanatic as uh, as I'm aware of, or the um, and if I if I have access to um, a TV and I'm not working, then I'll I'll watch every ball of a Test match. Um, so you know it'll definitely be on tomorrow, and if it's a keen contest, it'll stay on. Um, but there's there's plenty to do. So you know, perhaps you can sell the test. I mean, I think, I think we've sort of the brand has been damaged, um, not necessarily because of the West Indies struggles, um, and they haven't been great for a long time. Um, this might be, this team might be more likely to do well than the, the teams that came here in the mid two thousands or the late two thousands. Um, they might not be. Um, but the brand has been damaged by this idea that the West Indies best player don't don't play enough or don't play at all for the West Indies anymore. Um, mm. That they're they're professional T Twenty sort of guns for hire. Um, look, Kemar Roach is still going strong at thirty four years of age. The man who started the end of Ricky Ponting's career. Um, 
Craig Braithwaite is the captain. Um, he's a man who I think most people would know in Australia, Jason Holder. They would, I think they would also know. But other than those three, I think, um, obviously, Tajenarine Shanderpool is a name I think most people will, um, who, who remember cricket from 25 years ago, will, will remember. Um, the son of Shivnarine Shanderpool. Um, who is, I believe, yet to play a test, but might play his first test tomorrow. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. They're not particularly young. They're not particularly old. Um, but they have a reason. They have a meritorious uh, test series victory um, not that long ago um, in their in their history with that test series win against England. Having said that, that was the test series where they didn't take Broad or Anderson, so um, or didn't play them. So and a test... dreadful little stretch, you know. They they like their their um their white uh, white balls couldn't have been further apart from one another. Mm. Um, they, which culminated they... in a, an Ashes series in Australia where they they looked absolutely shot from ball one. Yeah. Um, and great cricketers like like Josh Butler and and the way he tore that World Cup apart again, I've never seen a bloke look more disinterested than Josh Butler in the Australian summer last um, last year. So um, it, it may be meritorious that um, that the Windies knocked them off, um, you know, at home and and without Broaden Anderson. Um, and this summer might give us a, a little read into those form lines. Yeah, I think. I think the idea that I, th- I think um, giving them Perth, I think, is probably it's an interesting bit of scheduling. Um, you know, the Perth fans have waited a while for Test cricket, and obviously the last few years and the the attitude of their government, for better or worse, or, or and how they've approached COVID has has made almost made international cricket over there impossible um, the last few summers, um, and that's fine. Um, but they haven't necessarily been rewarded. Um, having said that, South Africa's rec- recent record in Perth has been pretty outstanding, so I can understand why these why the Australian authorities probably wanted to keep the South Africans away from <laughs> from Perth. Um, so the, they couldn't be more off Broadway. Um, the Test match, the two Test matches in my memory that this reminds me of in terms of the scheduling. Uh, the first test in 89 where we played this one-off test against New Zealand in Perth, um, which was the Boone Double 100 and then the Great Batch 11-hour rear action, rear guard action. Um, that and the match where Hayden scored the 380. Um, and it just, I think, I think obviously we're used to the traditional season opening test match in Brisbane. I can understand why they want South Africans to play a test match in Brisbane um, rather than somewhere else. And I think I think that might be a day-night test match. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think we've had one day-night test match in Brisbane and it was it was a cracker. Mm. It was a one against Pakistan where they, they chased, they almost chased down like 450 in the last inning. Yeah, amazing. Um so, kind of said them wanting to do that, um, but I don't think I don't think I don't, I don't think it's great for the West Indies, and I don't I, I can't envisage there be many people in 
especially with the test match starting on a Wednesday, um, regardless of what time of the day in Perth uh, in Perth it's starting, I think it, I I have a feeling it's a traditional it's a normal day test match there actually. Mm, so, it is. Yeah, um, it is. So I don't I don't think there's going to be much of a crowd. I don't think there's going to be much of local interest. Um, the the location of the ground is no easy to get to from the centre of Perth than the Wacker was. If anything, it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, so there's no, there's no temptation to wander down. Um, and, you know, it's always the knock on particularly Perth and Brisbane um, is that people don't get along to the test match. Adelaide, the second test will be fine because that's um, that's like the carnival test match. Um, and I think Adelaide is owned the day night now and you know, not everyone's in their seats um, <laughs> six hours a day at the Adelaide Test match. They're either under the scoreboard or out the back of the Bradman stand. Um, but I just think in terms of getting a buzz going, I mean, we had England last year, and I think, I mean, I expect without looking that it's India next summer. You have to be. Um, but it's just, it's just getting lost. And um, I guess that was always, maybe maybe it's maybe it's good. Count, good counter scheduling after the World T20 um, to not try and waste something of um, of promotional value um, straight afterwards, and rather get into the middle of. I think is this. I'm just going to check the schedule um, for the um, Australia South Africa series. So that test is. Um, it is, I think, a normal day test match in in Brisbane, but but um, that starts on the seventeenth. So it's like it's three week, three test matches in three weeks, essentially, yeah. um, with little breaks in between. So um, I think a, and then, a, there may be more interesting four in week patch of test matches. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I think yeah. I think that's I think yeah. I think these Australian cricketing, the more casual fan will see the start of summer. The seventeenth. That that test match starts on Saturday, so um, we will see. We will see. But um, you'd be a brave man to suggest it'll be anything other than two nil. Uh, um, the Australian team is very, very certain. Um, yeah, I just had it, a look as it at should, it. Be, yeah, at this as it should be considering we're building up to a Ashes winter next year. Um, it'd want to be pretty settled at this stage. So, it's it's a it's a team Scott Boland can't break into, and he took when we were there took six for seven last year, yeah. and then sort of backed up in home. So, um, and they've been to Pakistan since and won, and um, it's an Australian Test side which, without possessing the infallibility of um, the early thousands, um. Is in a pretty good spot, and I think I think I think that needs to be pointed out. You can talk up the West Indies all you like, and, and sort of try and see um, positivity and how they're going to go. But this is Australia and Australia at the moment is still a very very tough ask for entering. I think we found that out last year. Yeah, absolutely. And another another you know year of development into Cameron Green, who you know looms as. You know, we're all looking forward to having India back on Australian soil and um, and finding a way to beat them when they've been so brilliant the last couple of times they've come out here. 
There was an asterisk on the first time. There was no asterisk on the second time, um, which was a brilliant. Um, but if we get, if to find a way to beat them, you know, Cam Greenlooms is a pretty important cog in that. And um, so, you know, he, this is fill your boots time, really, for Cam Green. A couple of, uh, of poorer test sides on home soil. His first, his first test match in Perth, which is probably very exciting for him. Um, and, and if you're looking for a reason to turn the TV on um, across this first couple of test matches, well, um, there's, there's got to be a test hundred this summer for Cam Green. And you'd, you'd, you'd think quite a few um, wickets to go along with it too. He, he looks set to explode. Um, and yeah, and very important in, in England as well to look at the, as you see out from a bowling point of view and, and, and in the, the batting side of things, uh, Marcus Harris is, uh, or he's getting another shot as that guy who's just outside the Australian top six. And, uh, you know, you, you probably think that the, uh, it's the, uh, I guess the flexibility of having someone like Kawaja there, um, who was a revelation in the second half of, of last summer, uh, who can bat five, but will open. Um, that, that means you can have an, that your um, standby batsman shouldn't be a sort of three to six guy, but, you know, he can come in and open and Kawaja can drop down the order. And, um, you know, a lot of teams would kill to have that flexibility. And, and he's another player that, you know, <laughs> to go back to the 2020 stuff briefly, Kawaja has shown that, that sort of his class can be really pivotal at the top of the order in, in the shorter formats as well. Um, hasn't had a run in pyjamas um, at all this summer, but uh, I don't think it would have been the craziest selection um, to have him opening the innings in the T20 World Cup um, instead of Aaron Finch. Not to dig the boots into Finch one more time, but um, yeah, they, they, they do have options up there, um, even if the selection policy is that you've got to be 35 and above. <laughs> um the great thing about Kawaja is that um, whoever whoever's out of form, if you want to drop someone, you can just bring in your next best bat. Mm. It's be like, okay, it has to be an opener, or it has to be a uh, it has to be a middle order player. You can he gives you the flexibility to move him move him around, um, and that's that's a pretty good thing to have. So mm. um, uh, they are they are well set. And um, as I said, hard to see, hard to see the West Indies um, taking a match off them. But good luck to them. Anyway, that should just about do us. Um, that's probably it for us uh, in terms of a summary. We'll just talk about the West Indies. We might get back together for um, talk about the South African series, or we might get together after all the tests have been played and have a chat about what we saw. Um, Cameron, always a pleasure. Likewise, mate. No worries. We'll catch you next time on the podcast. It should go without saying.